Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Well, this is it. Unless something breaks in the next week, this will be our last episode on alternative suspects in the Pinion Pines case. Like I said in this week's follow-up, I do have some other strong leads but I don't have the confirmation that I need in order to air them publicly, at least not yet. But as always, I'll be continuing to work on this case long after we conclude the season of the podcast, and I will of course put episodes together whenever there are updates. So for now, this is where I'm comfortable on a moral standpoint, ending the alternative suspect search here on the podcast. With that said, this is not the season finale. As of right now, the plan is for the finale to be next week. This week, we're going to take a look at a lead in the case that came to investigators in 2015 and some interesting insight from a neighbor who seemed to have a better grip on the investigation than the actual investigators. This is Season 12, Episode 64, Lingering Questions. In 2015, a letter was sent to the Riverside Sheriff investigators from a private investigator regarding information that his client had regarding the Pinion Pines murders. Mark Thomas Thayer was in the Indio jail for stealing a bike when this letter was written. This is what it said, quote, My client is Mark Thomas Thayer. Regarding triple homicide in Pinion Pines 2006 or 2007. Male subject used to live in Pinion Pines now lives in a mobile home park in Palm Springs area. The guy told him enough about incident, mentions burning bodies, and also had a shotgun and a handgun at the time. The guy's sister apparently came to this area from out of state and picked up the shotgun and handgun and took them from home or at least away from him. The guy's name is Joe, and Mark Thomas has known him for about a year and a half. Mark Thomas has some property at Joe's house and is willing to give a complete statement on what he knows wear a wire and talk to Joe, and will testify in court if required. He said Joe was crying when he briefly told Mark Thomas what happened. Joe also said he was involved in another homicide out of state before the 2006-2007 case. Mark believes that Joe may be responsible and believes Joe will give him more details of the murders in Pinion Pines. Mark Thomas will discuss case at Indio Jail or place of DA investigators choosing wants me as his investigator present during interview. Mark Thomas is pro per. This is given at the request of Mark Thomas. Signed by the investigator and dated January 27th, 2015. End quote. 
So basically, Mark thinks this guy Joe is responsible for the Pinion Pines murders and wants to talk to the district attorney investigator about it. Shortly after receiving the letter, investigators went to the Indio jail to interview Mark. The interview's long and most of it isn't relevant, but I did pull out this portion so you can hear how Mark is connected to our case. Well, I mean, I told him I would be willing to wear, to wear a wire to okay. meet with this guy. And, um, you know, I really want to give you information as to who this guy is or whatever right now, but okay. um, I stayed with this person for a while. My property's at this person's house. Um, when I first met him, he had been drinking a lot. Um, and he, drink, he drinks a lot, and when he drinks a lot, he starts talking a lot because his conscience bothers him a lot, I mean. And he had made comments about the Pinion uh, Pines case. He used to live up there. Um, and you're familiar with the Pinion Pines case? Vaguely. Not very much, you know. When I've he said it. that, though, were you familiar with Well, yeah, because he pointed it out in the newspaper, you know. He said that Smith kid, he's glad that Smith kid got charged with that. I mean, because he's a little, a little snot or something, he called him or whatever. I think this guy also had his... Uh, Someone poisoned his dog when he lived up there. He didn't know who it was who was responsible for doing that. Um, um, he told me, uh, it, it started out differently. He told me about how uh, his brother had been murdered. And uh, in retaliation, his family had him, you know, do a retaliatory uh, mm -hmm. murder. I believe it was in Arizona. And, um, he did that and he explained in detail everything, you know, how he did it, how it went down, how they, they took the weapon from him, they cleaned him all up, they took his clothes from him after that. There was, you know, a lot of blood spilled and then mm -hmm. um, and so I just want to believe the guy, I mean. Okay. You know, I mean the guy was just breaking down, crying and telling me all this stuff, telling me I'm the first person he's ever and it was just the two of you at yeah. the time. Yeah. How long ago was that that he had told you this? Uh, probably about a year ago. All right. Yeah. And you were living with him. Yeah. And I still am, really. I mean, okay. when I get out, I'm still going back there. I mean, how did you come to meet up with this guy? I met him at Seven Eleven. We just started talking one day. He was all drunk and stuff. I mean, and. Um, so you've been able to help him out, actually. Yeah, I've helped him out. I've done some work on his house for him, I mean. And, um, you know, and he started talking, like, you know, like, in the olden days, he used to, you know, run around and do certain things. He used to be a bartender and hang around with certain gangsters and stuff like this. And, you know, he's an older guy now, but, um, I got East Coast on my back of my arms because I'm from Massachusetts. Somebody said it's like East Coast, West Coast thing, whatever. <laughs> so he started talking to me and he said, You don't even know why he confessed this stuff to me, but he had to get it off his chest. They flew him to Italy. I mean, he showed me all the coins and stuff he brought back from Italy. Um, he told me that they gave him specific uh, written instructions, you know, where this guy was. He had, to, he had to go find this guy, watch this guy, know everything about this guy, everything else. He had the instructions on the back of a. Um, Painting in his house, they were all written down that his, his family had sent to him. You know, and, um, Take care of business. Yeah. And he told me that um, his sister had come down and taken his two guns because they, they were worried about him you know, doing something crazy with his guns again. They took a, a rifle and a pistol from him. I don't know what calibers or whatever. But uh, I know he's got a box of shells in his house and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
You haven't seen the guns yourself, though, right? No, I've never seen them. And I mean, even though this guy is telling you that you know, he's he's you know he's had to take care of business in the past, you, you referenced the murder. Um, well, I know. I know he told me that uh, he's lived where he is now for like ten years. He moved to like ten years ago and bought this other property, and he moved out of that area right there. And he told me he was there when that happened. When that happened up there, but. Um, when you say there, you mean up in the opinion pines area? There's never a question about it. There's no question about it. Hmm, I wonder why. But 10 years, and then until right now, he's been in this area. He told me, that. Well, I said, well, how long have you lived here? He said, I moved here about 10 years ago. And then when he told me whether that happened or whatever, which I don't remember what you said, but it was like, I remember it was like 10 years, right? Yeah. So. Um, when he talked about no one talking to him up there. Was he close enough to where they could have actually knocked on the doors and, and, and actually spoke to him? Yeah. It was like that. Huh, I wonder why they didn't. Well, I mean, you guys probably do a search about who sold their houses up there between this time and that time, right? Figure all that out. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's no, I mean, he's talked about it several times with me. Sometimes when he drinks, uh, he won't talk about it. Other times he does, you know what I mean? Um, if I bring it up once he's been drinking, then he just starts, he'll start talking about it, you know what I mean? Well, what's his, I'm confused, I mean, what's his guilt? I mean, what does he feel so bad about? Wow. Well, he feels really bad about, you know, he's never confessed on that opinion behind this thing at all, but, I mean, the, the things he talked about, he talked about how he, you know, how he did something before with food, how, by burning them up, you know, he mentioned stuff like that, and I don't know exactly what that means, but, um, I believe the guy's killing myself. I'm just saying. But based on what you're telling me, it sounds like he's a killer when it when it needs to happen, when yeah. it needs to occur. Yeah. Okay. This thing. He's with, no problem doing it if someone does him dirty or right. whatever. You know. Uh, he's talking about like the, the the management where he lives and the, the, the homeowners association that was giving him a hard time all night. He's talking about you know I'll bury I'll bury that asshole. I mean I've done it before. I mean. And, you know, whatever, 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 and talks about it, you know. Um, he's talked about several places like in Palm Springs where the, you know, the body's buried here or there or whatever, I mean, but, um. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, if, I, I'm, I'm still of the mindset in listening to you talk that this guy is his, it sounds like he's got a, he's got a conscience and a good heart. You guys have met, yeah, he, you guys he, come he, together. He does, but on the other side, he's, He'll, he'll snap, he can snap pretty quick, I mean. Um, Do you worry about that happening to yourself? Not, not really to me, I mean. And why is that? Because, you know, we've argued before and stuff like that, but I just leave, I mean, or whatever. It's just basically a place where I've stayed there and helped him out from time to time, but he gets he gets drunk and he's a very, uh, very mean drunk when he gets to that point, I mean. And so um, I just I just leave, come back the next day or whatever, and then he's like normal again. But he drinks every day of the week. He starts at seven in the morning by like four o'clock in the afternoon. It's pretty messed up, you know what I mean? Um, okay. Well, in in terms of this this you know, and I'm going to keep going back to the pinion pines thing because um, I, I need a starting point and I need to be able to you know give the district attorney. Something so that we can go forward with if, if you're willing to you know to help us out. You know, you know, all, all I could say was 
is that you probably want to hear it out of his own mouth. Sure. I mean, so I mean, I would be willing to go go okay. to his house and, okay. and wear something uh, where you guys could hear hear what he's saying. I mean, mm -hmm. um, when his sister, he said his sister came down, and uh, you know, when his aunt was still alive, she pretty much ran the whole show for like the family and stuff. You know what I mean? His aunt Eleanor, you know, and um, she passed on. Uh, she left a bunch of money to, uh, you know, one of his other brothers. I think he's got one brother that's alive. They killed, they killed his other brother, which is the reason. They had to fly him to Italy, so he, he'd go in front of the Catholic priest and receive forgiveness for that that murder or whatever. He believes he's already received some type of forgiveness, but it's still on his conscience because he's never told anybody. I mean, Has that murder been solved that no, you're aware of? No. And when you say you're willing to help out, they, they even moved. They had to move when they, when his brother was killed. They had to move out of that whole area because of that. Yeah, I mean, it was like a, a mob-related hit, okay. you know, murder or whatever. But after that fact, that um, they they wanted their their uh, revenge or whatever, so he, he did something to one of those other person's family members. I mean, yeah. it's never been solved. Okay, and just so I'm clear, with you saying that. As far as helping him, he was throwing. He was so sick when he told me the story. He was puking and everything. It was, it was, it was that's a heavy load to bear. That's yeah. that's that's I mean, tough. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you willing to talk about or or, or <clears throat> wire yourself up with with this this unsolved murder that we're talking about? Or are we talking about the Pinion Pines one? Both. Both of them. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, I wish you'd bring it up, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and let him just go. Huh? Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. All right. Okay, let, let me take you back just a little bit. We have a, we have a, a, what we perceive to be a letter. And I don't know if you've seen this, or we're gonna we're gonna read it to you. Take a look at it, and we'll, we'll read it to you. And and do you have any knowledge of a letter that was either your either you wrote yourself or was written on your behalf about having knowledge of um, of the murders in Pinion Pine? And what we're doing right now is we're showing you a two-page um, legal. It's hard to read. Do you mind if I read it to you? Yeah, I can't read it. I don't have my glasses. They won't, they won't let us pass. Is my handwritten, though? Uh, I'm not no, sure. That's my Gerald Monaghan. That's by my investigators. He okay. signed at the bottom. Okay. Are you familiar with that letter? No, I'm not. You Were you present when this letter or what looks well, to be like this letter was written? I was present, but he never told me that he gave anybody any information about anything. Okay. That's probably when he took all the notes and then he told me he called and met with investigators in Riverside. Is that true? I mean... I, that, that is partially true, yes. Yes. Okay. I wasn't there, though. Well, I, I can't say what, what I wasn't there well, for. Well, he's, he's an ex-lieutenant with Riverside Police Department, whatever he told me. He okay. told me that he called down there and he got to talk to Jerry, uh, no, Inspector Fuller, who's, who's the, one of the lead detectives on the case. He said there was another guy who he was a nose person from the forest prior to that or whatever. So they trusted him. So they said, well, how quick can you come meet us? He said, well, I can come down right now. So he said he went down and he spent about an hour with him. And he talked to him. And they, and they brought in a, a fire marshal, he said, and some other people to talk to him. And, okay. and so I, I believe those are the notes he probably took when I had a so you're unfamiliar with the contents that are on this letter yes. that are written possibly on your behalf because that's what it sounds like 
Well, I know he took notes. There's a problem with the notes right here. Okay. Did he ever talk to you after? No. And said that he actually submitted uh, no, a written passage on your behalf? He never told me he submitted anything. Okay. Um, I don't think there's anything that's on um, the letter that's going to be damning or anything like that. So um, unless you have any uh, objections. It's probably just the same stuff I've told you guys. Okay. Well, we want to read it to you okay. so that we're all on the same sheet okay. of music. Because, like I told you, coming here, seeing you for the first time. I don't know a whole lot about opinion okay. comments, but I know that he, he has knowledge of that, that crime and all that. You know what I mean? Okay. When he talked and weighed everything else. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, but see, when you say knowledge, you're talking about knowledge of who was involved or knowledge that he himself no, participated in. No. I've been, I've been researching law and stuff for three years. I've been doing law for three years. I, I cited evidence and do all kinds of stuff, and you guys do too. But I'm saying, well, this, this guy had mentioned a bunch of different things that when I put it all together, it seems to me like, you know, okay. that, you know, his, his sister came down to his guns, I mean, and okay. I don't know. Okay, you but know, he's definitely involved in the other one, for sure. Whether or not he's the one that's that's responsible for this opinion lines, I can't say for sure, but I think it's something that okay. he definitely has some kind of knowledge of All right. not involvement in. Okay. What what did he tell you that you can recall about his involvement or what he knows about opinion well, he told me he told me he didn't like though that Smith kid, I mean that little snot snot kid, snotty kid or whatever, he's glad he get charged with it, I mean. I remember saying that. I don't even know this kid. I don't even know nothing about him. He said, uh, um, uh, he said that they, they used to live right up there, but they, they ended up selling their house. You know what I mean? Right up close by there, they ended up selling their house. You know I mean? He never admitted that he's the one that did it or anything like that. Um, he, uh, he told me that, uh, that when he split up with his um, significant other or whatever, that um, his family was concerned that he was going to go and do something to this person. So they, his, his sister came down from out of state and picked up his, his pistol and his rifle or shotgun or something like that. And you say when they're worried they're going to do something to this person, meaning the person that his significant other was with? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So they came and took the gun, you know what I mean? The guns. She came down and took them. And, um, and then uh, when he's, when I asked him, well, how long have you been where you're at right now? He said, yeah, I bought this place this many years ago or whatever, you know, it's like 10 years, you know what I mean? And then when he moved out of there, that's like basically when, when it happened, you know what I mean? It's like those murders happened and they sold and moved, you know what I mean? Um, so sometime right up when that big fire was up there burning, burning everything down up there, right in that area. So I don't know. And then, um, I know this girl that, uh, she, she, uh, she threatened people, like, oh, I'm bringing this fucking house down, and fucking me, and shit like that, and I mean, I'm like, damn, man, you know, I can't believe she would do something like that, and they'll burn someone's house down, and he said, and then he made some comment, I don't, I don't recall exactly what it was, but it was about that he's used fire before to, to, you know, as a weapon, or to get somebody or something, okay. something like that. Right. I don't remember word for word how we said it. But so based on everything that you guys talked about, he's alluding to the fact that he has knowledge of the Pinion Pines murder. Yeah. But he hasn't himself said he committed no, he the murders. Not. And at this point, you're not sure that he himself 
had any that he that he participated or committed the murder. I'd be lying if I said that, you know. Okay. All right. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to you. Yeah, and I'm not trying. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When I first read Mark Thayer's letter, it seemed like this was a promising lead. And to be honest, I think Mark really believes that this Joe guy might be responsible for the murders. He wasn't asking for anything in return. He didn't say he had some kind of confession that can't be verified. He said that he had heard enough that he had his own suspicions, and he was willing to wear a wire for the police to see if he could get Joe to share more. But here's where things kind of fall apart. Mark doesn't actually know anything. The only thing that Joe said related to the case, according to this interview, was that he didn't like the snot-nosed Smith kid, meaning Christian. It sounds to me like there was a news story about the case when Robert and Christian got arrested the first time, and somehow Joe knows who Christian is and said he didn't like him, or that he's getting what he deserves. Now, it does sound like there was some legitimate intel about the murder from another state, but even that ended up not mattering, because after this interview, the investigators went looking for Joe and discovered that Joe had recently died. There's another follow-up interview with Mark, and in that interview, he talks mostly about the fact that this Joe guy had left him the rights to the mobile home he was living in, and that if the investigators could get Mark out of there for a field trip, he could get them inside where he could give the officers access to a box of ammo that was owned by Joe. And it seems like nothing ever comes of the situation, and to be honest, I don't think there was really anything there to begin with. The letter definitely did seem like a solid lead, but once we hear the details, it was nothing more than a hunch. Next up, I want to share with you kind of a strange interview with a Pinion Pines resident named Stephen Russell. Steve here is calling Jeff Bumpensero on the 21st of September, so four days after the murders. He had some contact with police on the 18th and made this call to follow up and to make some suggestions. What's super interesting about the call is that Steve, he's on the right track. If he had been the investigator, we probably would have a lot more answers and a lot less questions. My initial reaction to hearing the call was kind of to be annoyed by this ordinary citizen trying to tell the police how to do their job. That is, until I realized that as odd and kind of annoying as it is, Steve's right. The things he's suggesting are exactly the things the investigators should have been doing. This interview's short, so I'm going to play it all for you. When you're listening, take note of the things Steve is saying. Like, a car driving away from the scene would have been noticed. The police should have checked behind the properties for tire tracks. They should check the trail at the end of Jeroboa that I mentioned in last week's episode. He mentions the Ellis brothers and how they would ride ATVs behind the houses to burglarize people in the neighboring community. And then listen for the suggestions he makes. Talk to everyone that lived on the routes out of the neighborhood. Check the Friedley phone records before the murders to see if there are any clues. You might remember that only 24 hours of phone records were actually pulled by investigators. 
If nothing else, Steve gives some good insight into the area and the people that lived in Pinion Pines. All right, Steve. Yeah. Okay. Okay, a couple of things. Um, well, have you guys gotten any good clues? or? Well, I can't really tell you what we have and what we don't have. Okay, well, here's some, you know, I'm just thinking basic, you know. Um, did you guys check... Like behind the house, and I'm not talking behind the house, I'm talking like the forest land because there is a road that runs uh, uh, parallel with Alpine. It's not really a road, it's more of a trail mm -hmm. that's about an eighth of a mile behind the property. Uh -huh. And to access it, you would go straight up Jeroboa. Okay. And you would go past Alpine, and it just starts turning into a rough trail. I've gone through there with a two-wheel drive vehicle there before. Mm -hmm. So maybe go see if, you know, if, you know, they didn't come through the front, you know, see if they came through the back area, mm -hmm. see if there's an area up there where somebody did a U-turn with, you know, I don't know how fresh a track you would find now. Right. But it's not common for people to be going back there. I know a lot of quad riders ride back there on the weekends and stuff. Right. And I don't know how much evidence you have or whatever, but there's only two ways in and out of this neighborhood. You can go Pinion or you can go Palm Canyon. Right. And, you know, if somebody did happen to go up in that area, you know, talk to the old guy Forrest that lives on the corner of Jeroboa and Alpine. How do you spell Jeroboa? J-E-R-A-B-O-A. Okay. And, uh... You know, when you were coming off Alpine and uh, Palm Canyon, right. take Alpine all the way to the end. He's the modular, which would be on the right side, which would be the uh, the south side. And what's his name? Uh, Forrest. He's an old guy. I don't know, you know, how his hearing is or anything like that. But, you know, you got to figure, okay, time of fire was what, maybe 9.30 possibly, okay. give or take. So you figure if they started the fire, they had to split out of there quick because the fire is going to draw lots of attention. I'm sure at 930, somebody had to see a vehicle in the neighborhood. Right. So, I mean, if you talk to people, I don't know, if you put up a poster at the community bulletin boards, mm -hmm. because you figure the time of fire, everybody's going to be driving to the fire. Right. You know, there's not going to be too many cars leaving right. the vicinity. Right. And I'm going to assume they were shot. Um, well, we don't really know. Oh, okay. So, something that we're still working on. Because if it was shot, then that'd mean probably just one person. Mm -hmm. You know, where if it was a stabbing, it might be more, you know, it'd be hard for one guy to take on three people. Right. So, but I figured it was probably a shooting. Because you guys got excited when I mentioned I had a gun and wanted to know what type of gun I had. Well, we always ask people that. Oh, okay. So, so and then, uh, what was the other thing? Um, hmm, uh, well, I guess that's it. Okay. But, you know, like I said, I try to talk to as many people, like, either on... 
you know, Palm Canyon or right. down Chillin Street, down Jeroboa. To get over, um, <clears throat> I know the two ways in there are Pinion and Palm Canyon. Uh-huh. And then there's like a, a big open area in between those two. Uh-huh. You can get two-wheel drive through there, a car. Which which way are you talking about? Like, well, if I'm looking at a map, okay, I have um, off of... 74. <clears throat> Off of 74, if you're coming from the desert. Okay. Okay, you're going to hit Pinion first. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you go down a little bit further, and you're going to hit Palm Canyon. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm looking at the wrong one over here. You want to know how the locals, like how I drive to my house? Is that the question? No, what I'm asking is, um, you know where, like, Mountain Park Road is and Rancho Road? Um, those roads don't sound familiar. Are they there by the pavement? They're at the very beginning of the neighborhood? Well, I see, on a map, I see three neighborhoods here. Okay. I have... Well, we're, listed, we're supposedly, this is technically Alpine Village, but they've been calling it Pinion or Pinion Flats or whatever, right. but we're technically Alpine Village. It's kind of like when you talk to desert folk and they say they're going to L.A. and you say, what part? Right. And then they say Disneyland. Right. Which, that's Orange County, and it's Anaheim, it's not L.A. Right. So this area gets grouped into Pinion about the same way as Disneyland to L.A. Right. What I'm looking at on the map is it's going to be before Pinion, if you're coming over from the desert, there's a road called Rancho Road, and it goes into a, another neighborhood where the streets are Mountain Park Road and Yucca Road. And okay, none of that sounds familiar. Okay. But uh, are you trying to figure out if one neighborhood adjoins to another neighborhood? Right. I mean, I don't see any. I okay. See any. The only one that I know of, I've been through some of the back country. Uh-huh. You would have to have a real serious four-by or a motorcycle or a quad okay. to get from, like, Royal Carrizo to my neighborhood. Uh-huh. I've heard it can be done. I've never discovered it. I've never had the vehicle to do it. Uh-huh. But in my golf cart, an electric two-wheel drive golf cart, I got up one of the back roads and I was able to get to Pinion Crest, which is off of Carrizo. Right. Okay. And that's kind of the high-end fancy neighborhood, you know, Gardner Valley type place. Okay. All right, yeah, that's the area I'm looking at. That's where Mountain Park Road is and all those roads. Oh, off of Carrizo and Pinion Crest? Yeah. Yeah, there is a link. In fact, those folks, there were, there was a couple of tweakers that used to live in our neighborhood, some of the uh, west, as we call them, the west side Ellises, and I guess they would try to get into houses and steal shit over there, mm-hmm. and they would take that little back road because uh, uh, I know a guy that lives in there, and he had said we'd see characters on quads in here every now and then, and all of a sudden there was a house broke into. Oh, yeah. And they had taken their tractors and bulldozers, and they've made it damn near impossible mm-hmm. to get in there. They've made it so that, you know, there's a serious rut that you can fall into if you try to get into their neighborhood. Now, their neighborhood also, the little road, as you're starting to come, like let's say you're going back down, the hill, you've just passed the Sugarloaf Cafe, right? and you look on the left, and there's a call box, and it's kind of, you know, the road goes down, and then it goes up, and there's a turnout on the left side for the people coming up. Okay. Now, that road goes into the back side of that neighborhood, and there's a gate there. Okay. And only the people in that community have a key to that gate. They don't just hand it out freely. Right.
Okay. And they then, issue keys. And then Palm Canyon actually goes all the way down to Palm Springs, but there's gates there as well, correct? Yeah, there's several gates. Um, I don't even know who. I, I think Forest Circus has keys to that. Uh, BLM. What's that? Maybe the Water District. Uh, not up here, no. Our, our water company up here is private. Okay. And so CV Water District wouldn't have a key. Um, you used to see some of the Desert Adventure Jeeps back in there, too, right. in that BLM land, but once they went to the monument status up here, yeah. I don't know if they're coming up anymore, but there's, I think there's three gates to get down to the desert, and I've never gone all the way down back there, but uh, I think it comes out behind the, like, where the target is there in uh, Cat City. Right. Somewhere down in there. That's that's Dunn Road. The guy that developed this area was Mike Dunn, and he had he was trying to build that as a private road for this neighborhood. Okay. But the tree huggers and sheep huggers and lizard huggers right. and you know all those clowns put a stop to it. Right. Okay. All righty. Have you heard anything else going on up there? People talking about anything? Yeah, people are speculating. You know, you got the old timers that have been up here for years. You know. Right. Uh, one of the things, you know, I've, you know, there's like three things that go through my head. Mm-hmm. You know, robbery gone bad, mm-hmm. or, you know, did you talk to uh, Sharon in the log cabin? Um, I think she was talked to. We've talked to a lot of the neighbors up there, and just I haven't. She had, she had made it sound like John was saving for a truck, yeah, and that uh, he didn't want to make truck payments. Uh-huh. So what if the daughter had mouthed off in front of the wrong crackhead, right, yeah, or something? That the other night, you know, to you know to rob or something like that. Not the intention, but mm-hmm. you know somebody took it wrong. Right. Did that girl, uh, the daughter, have you been able to get in on her? I'm sure all kids have a MySpace website. Right. You know, who's the new fast friends that she's met? Right. Um, you know, you guys got your hands full. Mm-hmm. Who who has been calling the house and, uh, you know, the, the phone trail over the last six months, outgoing calls, incoming calls? You know, did John get in with a shark or right. gambling dead or... You know, I mean, there's, there's, this thing can go so many different ways. Right. Does this go back to the old days of, uh, who, what was the cop's name? Friedley. Yeah, but yeah. what, what was his, Ron. Yeah. Does this go back 18, 20 years where, you know, somebody said that, you know, he set people up, you know, somebody got out of jail and pissed off, come back and, you know, looking for him and, you know, he wasn't there, but take out the family anyways. Right. You know, so you guys, you guys got your hands full. I don't know what you guys have on clues. But I don't, I, I don't know if you have much, but I hope you do. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that you know, sometimes cases take you know longer than others, but um, we have a pretty good success rate. So, you know, I'm sure we'll come to a good conclusion here shortly. Well, I'm hoping so. Yeah. Did you guys talk to the son of John? Yeah. Man, that guy. I felt bad for him. Yeah. He was pretty torn up. Yeah. Yep. It's no. Bad situation, you know. The older daughter, um, was she? She wasn't at the house, obviously. She was out of town. Um. Well, actually, only one lived there, so. Okay, so there's another daughter. Has she been gotten a hold of? Or yeah, we we talked to the whole family. Oh, okay. Yeah. All yeah, right. We talked to all the family members, and you know, a lot of the friends, and a lot of the neighbors, and you know. We got some things. We got some things going, so we'll see what happens here. Well, 
just to put my mind at ease, mm-hmm. was it a robbery gone bad or was it a personal vendetta against the family? Because, you know, we're, we're paranoid up here. Right. Well, I think, um, I think as far as the neighborhood goes, I think, you know, you guys are pretty safe. Okay. So, you know. All right. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be too concerned. You know, I'm obviously keep your eyes open and stuff. Well, so it's not like a Richard Ramirez random thing just broke into the first house he came along to? Right. You're not thinking that scenario? No. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. All righty. Okay, man, if you think of anything else, you know. Well, I've been racking my brains for the last couple of days on this. You guys you guys caught me kind of at a bad time. You know, I just woke up from a nap here, right. you know, and I'm trying to watch a little television, just got done eating, and right. I'm thinking about my next day going to work, and, you know, right. I kind of think about it while I'm on my way to work and driving around. And, right. you know, then the night of the fire, I was an hour into my sleep, mm-hmm. and, you know, my first two hours, I sleep like a bear yeah. hibernating. I don't hear... <laughs> Shit, you know, I don't know anything that's going on. I wake up in a panic, smelling smoke, and my buddy sounds like it's kicking in my door. Right. So, but yeah, I talked to the folks like on Pinion Street, talked to the ones on Jeroboa, the ones on Chillin, mm-hmm. and then uh, maybe people on Palm Canyon. Right. You know, but that's not to say, you know, somebody driving that lives on another street didn't see a car. Right. Clicking along pretty good and, you know, didn't put two and two together because they didn't they didn't have two and two to work with. Right. So, okay. now, do you guys have access to get into websites and stuff like that, like a personal? Yeah, we can do all that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yep, we can. Did you guys consider that stuff or? Yeah, we consider everything. Huh. Yeah. Yep, we got seven dudes working on it right now, so. Yeah, the sad thing is, the older the case gets, you know, the less you... Well, sometimes. Not always. You know. Hopefully there's some... It's not like television. We're not going to get it solved by commercial break, but... Yeah, well, I don't watch any of those TV detective shows, but most of the shit's like a puzzle, and I'm pretty good at puzzles and, you know, figuring out how shit breaks, and I can generally fix stuff. You know, I got a mechanical mind. Right. That's my strong point. Mm -hmm. How we do these. Yeah, so I figure it's a puzzle. You start you start at one end and work your way backwards, basically. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully some luck falls into place, too. Right. So, all right, Jeff. Okay, good luck you. to you. All right, man. Appreciate it. All right, bye. Bye. All right, that was a phone call from Steve, Stephen Russell. Today is September 21st, 2006, and the time is 2 Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One thing that I found interesting about this conversation was when Bumpencero told Steve that he doesn't think anyone up in Pinion Pines has anything to worry about. He said, quote, I think you guys are safe, end quote. Now, 
There could be a lot of reason for that. Maybe he's just trying to keep everyone calm, but I don't think that's it. And first of all, that's incredibly irresponsible to tell people not to worry and they're perfectly safe when there's a killer and arsonist on the loose. To me, an appropriate answer would have been, we just don't know yet. Most likely this was an isolated incident, but definitely keep your doors locked and stay vigilant, you know, something like that. But to me, it seemed like Bumpensero said that everyone should be safe because he believed everyone was safe. I think that he actually believed that no one else was in danger. If you're more of a conspiratorial type, you might think that's because he had some knowledge of who the killer is and why they did it. Or the more conservative interpretation would be that he just had blinders on, meaning he thought he knew he did it. And from the case file, it seems apparent that he and LeClaire both were convinced that these murders occurred because some teenagers were mad at Becky. And if that were the case, then Steve Russell had nothing to worry about. Before I close this chapter on alternate suspects, I just want to address two things that are nagging at me. I would not in any way consider these two people suspects or even persons of interest. I just can't get these two things out of my head. One is John Trapini. To refresh your memory, Trapini was the guy who murdered a man in the very desert in question in this case, but back in 1987. The story goes like this. John Trapini was a criminal informant for the Riverside Sheriff's Department. We don't know this, but it seems like Ron Friedley may have been his handler. I say that based on the fact that after the murder, he went to Ron's house, who later walked him down to the crime scene to turn himself in, and Tiffany's interview, where she said that Ron and John had worked together on some what seemed to be illegal operations in the past. So according to the newspapers, Trapini was working as an informant, He had told police about a marijuana operation that D. Bonaventura, the murder victim, was involved in. In retaliation, D. Bonaventura burned down Trapini's house. Then, Trapini catches him out riding the trails behind the Friedley house, and he shoots and kills him, along with another victim who didn't die but was also shot. He then goes to Ron's house, a lieutenant at the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. He hangs out there, they talk for a while, and then later he turns himself in, but he claims self-defense. Trapini does get convicted, but he served a ridiculously short sentence. Currently, Trapini is in prison in Nevada for an unrelated crime. I have no evidence that Trapini had any involvement in the Pinion Pines murders, but his picture remains on my bulletin board. I have a literal pin in him because he is a known violent offender. He was out of prison and free at the time of the murders. He has a connection to the Friedley house and my sources tell me that he was around the area around the time of the murders. I don't have confirmation that he was living in Pinion Pines, but he was definitely up there a lot. At the very least, I would like to see the DNA on Becky's sock and pants compared to him to see if he can be ruled out. Lastly, that damn retirement money. I still do not have an answer as to whether Ron actually paid Vicky out like he said he did. If he did, Ron can easily be ruled out from having any involvement in these murders. He was 10 hours away as far as we know, there was no triggering event at the time, and he would have had no motive. But if he didn't make that payment, that would be a very, very different story. It would not only mean that he did actually have a motive to kill or have Vicky killed, but also it would mean that he intentionally lied to the police about it. It would mean that a day or two after his ex-wife and daughter were murdered, he lied 
to conceal a motive. I do not know if Ron Friedley was telling the truth. I want to make that clear. I'm not being coy or holding back information. I literally do not know. But I am on a mission to find out. And if I am able to verify that he didn't owe Vicky any money because he had paid it to her the year before, just like he said he did, I'll make a point to come back on the air and share that information. But if I were to discover that he was lying to the investigators, then bet your ass that I'll report that too. Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design, and you can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I can be found personally on all forms of social media at BobRuffTruth. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.